and welcome to episode 12 of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities Hometown Haunts. I am your host, Kat Cloco, and tonight with me, like always, we got Christina Wald and hey. Jen Kohler. Hello, ladies. Hey. Hello. So, as always, you can contact us on our social media, which is at Sin Cabinet Curio on Twitter and Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities on Instagram. You can email us at cincycuriosities at gmail.com. And we are an official podcast now on iTunes. We actually are getting ratings and reviews. Please keep that up. We've got some wonderful uh, comments from people on iTunes. We're a friendly little fun show about odd things around the tri-state. Uh, you can also you can find us at Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities on both iTunes and on YouTube, where you can watch our beautiful faces talk about all things strange, spooky, and interesting about the Cincinnati tri-state area and beyond. Um, also, thanks to our CincyCuriosities at gmail.com account, people have been sending us in Krampus. Yay! Christina, Yay! please tell us about that. Well, we've have, uh, we have a group of artists that have sent some really awesome Krampuses, and we are going to show them to you right now. And their Instagram handles will be with the artwork that they did, so show them some love. Yes, they're all wonderful. I love all the different variations of Krampus. Everyone use their own voices to uh, show off this angry goat man. <laughs> I like yours, Christina. He was an angry ram. He was so fluffy. He kind of looked. He kind of looked like a blue meanie, except he wasn't blue. Yeah, that's like a half naked blue meanie or something. <laughs> I like how uh, a lot of the kids are depicted in the sack. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, then that's a, a a community favorite. The children stuffed in sacks. I am happy to report that my little child did not get stolen by Krampus this year. Yay. He remained in his bed all night sleeping, and we nice. found him December sixth at six in the morning. Oh. <laughs> oh yeah, did you did you do the show? I have a cousin that actually does the Saint Nicholas thing where you have the um the sh the wooden shoes with the fruit and stuff and you 
And you do St. Nicholas Day and they do presents and stuff like that. Yeah, no, we didn't do that. Um, it was cute. He got special cereal on Saturday morning and got to watch cartoons. But Are they that, Krampus O's? No, I, I wish they were. There probably but, is something like that, but it's probably really expensive. Probably. <laughs> but anyway, I guess I was, uh, there's a mm. lot this week. So do we want to segue into weird things? Just two announcements beforehand. Okay. I had a really fun time on Ghostly Talk with Scott and Amber last uh, week. Yes, awesome. We did an extended episode. I, I think it's extra long. It's just slightly longer than their standard episodes. And we were deliciously nerdy about all things paranormal and geeky on that show. So that was really fun. It was a stellar time. <laughs> and then this week on Thursday, live uh, on, I think it's paraxnetwork.com so i'll be on my friend's radio show journey into the light chapter three with Tab tammy and tabby cat at 7 p.m eastern standard time is from seven to eight and we'll be talking about the cincinnati cabinet of curiosities and uh, please fill up their chat room and be sassy it'll be fun <laughs> so on to weird things that we saw this week woohoo all right, well, starting out, uh, since we're doing so much, we're, we're doing some light stuff first because tonight's topic is really kind of dark. And mm -hmm. so, you know, light Krampuses, light, this, this story, um, uh, a fellow West Sider uh, sent me this this morning about uh, the sort of West Side cryptid of the mountain lion, which is interesting because just recently there was video of someone claiming there was a mountain lion. But if you looked at this article, which we will post a link to um, in the show notes, uh, they are not, this is not a place where mountain lions are. Uh, they've been extinct from here for a long time. So seeing one seems highly unlikely. Now, when I was reading this, you know, if anyone has ever seen, so Dave said, you may want to look into the cryptid Westside Delhi Black Mountain Lion. There's actually a society that hunts this thing. He says he got read the Riot Act years ago because he taught it as an urban legend in his class. And a kid's grandfather was one of the people that hunts uh, was hunting this this um, panther and if you read the comments on the article I linked to in Akron people claim they have seen this they're, they claim they've seen it and who knows if they did if it was dark maybe it wasn't really it could have been a dog it could have been it's really hard to say uh, bobcats are quite a bit smaller uh, if anyone's traveled to Colorado they have that really famous picture of the woman and her son getting their picture taken and you can see the mountain lion in the tree behind them Oh yeah, but Colorado um, is there are lots of mountain lions there and, and Ohio is so densely populated it is hard for a lot of large prey to survive because people don't like them around um, you know most big cats like toddlers and not in a friendly way they like to eat them and so people don't like them around that being said you know after seeing uh, the exotic cat show on netflix there are a lot of people that keep big cats as pets so i could conceivably see it being because they said there's more tigers in captivity than there are in the wild and there are yeah. a lot of people um as you recall was that in columbus a couple of years ago where they had all those animals escape somebody had it was in rural eastern ohio um i think just north of chillicothe 
And yeah, you had all these uh, wildlife like bears and there were panthers and maybe a tiger uh, that got out and they had to put a lot of them down. They tranquilized mm -hmm. a few. Um, yeah, because they were kept in the same way as uh, Joe Exotic's animal place, mm -hmm. but not it, they were a private zoo or is it a zoo if it's private? I don't know. I, I, a lot of people really, for some reason, want to keep these large predators. Um, when I was working on the San Diego Zoo book um, and I was with the zookeeper and we were looking, they had this really pretty jaguar and she had a cub and she was acting very much like a cat. She was rolling and kind of making noises. And they said that was kind of like her talking. And, and they said, yeah, they're just like your house cats, except they can kill you. <laughs> and I said, well, our house cats would kill us, but they're too little. I mean, most of these animals are not meant to be kept as pets. No. But, you know, every once in a while you see some news story uh, and it hasn't been that recently. There's grainy footage uh, in the West Side area of somebody recently thinking they saw a mountain lion. So this is something that sort of rears its head every couple of years. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I suspect it goes back to sort of that fear of, of your young ones being taken by you know vicious beasts in the night yeah yeah and i know black bears will once in a while swim across the ohio back into ohio mm -hmm. that was a strange sentence but anyway <laughs> they they land back in the buckeye state wander around a bit go nope and then swim back to kentucky <laughs> well kentucky does have all those really nice hills and woods mm -hmm. and whiskey whiskey yes whiskey. exactly <laughs> <laughs> all right cat what's your weird thing so my weird thing is a little <laughs> weird history bit uh, about Cincinnati and our name. Uh, as a transplant to Cincinnati, I'm always really eager to learn strange history. So this week I discovered that Cincinnati is not the original name of the town that we live in. It was originally Lowenstil oh, man. Lo Lowenstonville. Lowenstonville. Thank you, Jen. Yeah. Lowenstonville. No, there's no... Oh, yeah, there is. Lowenstonville. After the Licking River, which is in Kentucky, the name Lowenstonville means opposite of the mouth of the river. And since the land that Cincinnati was founded was on the opposite side of the Ohio River from the Licking River's delta, where it merges with the Ohio, uh, that's how the settlement got its name. And you can actually see this area when you go up to Alt Park. There's a viewing um, platform that you can just look at the mighty Ohio River and the Kentucky mm -hmm. side and Dayton, Kentucky and all that. In 1790, the town was named the county seat of Hamilton County by author St. Arthur St. Clair, the Northwestern Territory Governor. St. Clair then renamed Lowenstonville, bestowing upon the glowing sun, growing settlement, growing settlement, settlement there we go cat can talk tonight the name cincinnati and few because lowenstonville is not an encouraging name for this growing community yeah it always makes you think locustville or something yeah like the way it, your brain sees it yeah like louisville already has enough problems <laughs> this would just be a repeat of that yeah yeah louisville louisville you know actually well in colorado they have a louisville so and that's how they pronounce it so it just depends yeah, and you know Lowenstonville is not how we would pronounce it because we can't yeah. pronounce Versailles or Versailles <laughs> correctly. Reading, reading. Oh gosh. Yes. Yeah. So many different ways. 
Um, so Jen, tell us about your exploration. In yeah, I do have an exploration this weekend. <laughs> well, uh, my original thought was just to go out and take pictures of Crest Road and Bank Road until I was messaging you guys. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to go out to lick. And glad I did. Creepy. But it is totally on my alley to find stuff like that. <laughs> and um i'd love it's very quiet and even though you're in the middle of a city you definitely feel like oh yeah this is definitely where bad things can happen or somebody would drop a body or um do things they shouldn't as referenced by the uh mattress and armchair recliner <laughs> that is out there for who knows why but yeah uh so the first thing i noticed when i got out of the car at the end of licking or lick road was profanity lots and lots and lots of profanity which i will not repeat here and i tried to photograph around it so we could post photos well, to social media spray without can. offending what people what else are you gonna write it's not like you're gonna write proust i mean you're gonna put like all the curse words that you're not allowed to say i mean well, it was funny because there was, you know, bow down to Satan, Satan well, saves lives, Lucifer was here. Yeah. Um, All the great. You know, How many anarchy symbols did you see spray painted everywhere? Or oh, Metallica no. or <laughs> pentagrams? Tons. One, there was also a God is Dead. Mm -hmm. which just reminded me of heresy by nine inch nails um but i mean layers and layers and layers of spray paint all over from like an urban art thing i find that fascinating yeah and it honestly to me it was beautiful Mm -hmm. in a weird dirty creepy way which i, I love those things yeah even so. if you don't post the pictures i hope you took some pictures of it mm-hmm. oh i took a lot i i will post a lot of them to my personal instagram okay um but yeah i did try i always try to stay away from inciting things even though i might like them and find them funny not everybody does mm-hmm. so um did you see anything unusual in your photos as you were going through them? Any orbs? No, or? no, didn't feel anything. Um, well, I did. There was a piece of discarded clothing that I, I felt was pretty weird. Which, yes. Where was um, it? Let's see. There was something else I was going to say, and when I'm put on the spot, it just leaves my head. Um, well, I did when you when you pulled up and you were live messaging us and um you sent us a photo and maybe we can share it on the youtube channel uh there is just a mattress and a lazy boy sitting at the end of this Mm -hmm. basically dirt road before it goes into the richardson forest preserve and you go oh god where have you sent me and i wrote (laughs) banjos playing in the background and I love your sassy retort back going, that's not even funny. And I'm like, yeah, it is. But when you- because well, sh- I was feeling a little creeped out at the time. Yes, this is why usually with urban exploration, you go with at least one buddy, but COVID kind of squashed a lot of this. 
Um, so I'm glad you kept updating us the entire time yeah. you were there. But because seeing the mattress, I was just like, of course, this is a lover's lane area and it has been for right. 40 years. Ooh, I can't imagine. Oh, that no. mattress is probably well, skanky. I didn't oh, see Yeah, it was. <laughs> I didn't see Sorry. any fire pits, so that was a good sign. One, I think it's mainly a teenager hangout. Oh, yeah. Of course. Up to no good, or just hanging out because they have nowhere else to go. Yeah, and where else? If can I knew of that Satan place rules. when I was in high school, I would have gone. Yeah, <laughs> same here. Where else are um, you going to spray paint your satanic stuff? Well, yeah. Oh, that's I mean, what I was going to say. So, amidst all of the satanic stuff and the the, the profanity, there was uh, rest in power or uh, Ruth RGB Ruth Bader oh, nice. RBG. And then there was a black a Black Lives Matter, so there was some positivity in there. Yeah, so funny. So. I think Ruth Bader is just like, well, this is an interesting place for a memorial, but I'll go it's, with it. It's it's interesting yeah. that she became such a pop culture icon. I know. Yeah, I she know. did a lot. True, true. So, oh, and there were some phone numbers, which in the photos I I photoshopped them out because I don't want people Smart. calling random phone numbers. No. Um, <laughs> mm. And it but just yeah, reminds it me in- of the sex hotline from Animaniacs. <laughs> no, that's a real thing. They had to remove episode six of the new season because there was a real sex hotline <gasps> phone number. Really? That's a- Did it they was- know it was a real sex hotline when they... I have no idea, but it was in the Pinky and the Brain segment. and uh, I never put anything past anyone. Yeah, no. this is why Someone you use 555 as your area code because then it's not going to do anything. But, <laughs> yeah, um, It's like that eight six seven five three oh nine mm-hmm. i say it's my song because my name i'm known as jenny to my family so yeah. um i've never tried giving it out as a fake number though i wonder if anybody would you know, no, know. no one asked for my phone number so it doesn't matter um <laughs> they probably upon first glance wouldn't think about it and then when they're sounding it out in their head they're like oh wait a minute yeah, yeah. and that looked- was actually someone's number so whoever owned that number back in the day w- w- was getting thousands and thousands of calls. <laughs> they no longer own it. That's no, no. So, so um, before we go into our main topic, we have a little Pringles update. Yes, um. <laughs> important Pringles update. Christina, would you like to share? Well, you know, I was you know kind of scrolling through YouTube, and this week uh, on last week tonight. That sounds funny. This week on last week tonight. Uh, John Oliver did a whole segment on Pringles because people sent fan art of what the Pringle man's body looks like and some of it was very fantastical and I thought it was funny that we just talked about Pringles and he did allude to what Kat had discussed about the person who invented Pringles I guess they're sort of Pringles are kind of like that food of the future i mean he was kind of making fun of it but there was sort of this thing i I don't know what does anyone know off the top of their head what year pringles were invented um i'm gonna have to look that up but but it kind of feels like it's in the family of foods that that were like foods of the future because you know remember the astronaut ice cream used to get like oh yeah stuff Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. thought that food was going to be eventually like stuff you squeezed out of a tube and it did become that but people started to hate it and now everything's like you know i want farm fresh whatever it's funny how you get the you have these cyclical things because 
they invented all these foods to make things easier in the kitchen for people. And Pringles were kind of like this food of the future, stacked very neatly so that they wouldn't break in this little cylinder. Um, and they were invented, they were a PNG product. They've been sold off, so they're no longer PNG. They're now Kellogg. Yes, but yeah, they, they huh. were invented in Cincinnati, so it's kind of a Cincinnati thing. So it's 1968. Oh, yes, perfect. That's exactly uh, moon landing. I told you, food uh, of the future. So, yep. Pringles, astronaut ice cream, you know, some sort of freeze dried steak, and you had a meal. Yeah. You, know, you, you mm. could spam. So, if you had spam, with your Pringles and then some astronaut ice cream for dessert, you had the meal of the future. <laughs> well, this is bringing up so many childhood memories. <laughs> Herbie's <Yeah>. like, yuck. <laughs> and also Cincinnati was just on the Simpsons too. So yes. uh, Cincinnati's getting a lot of attention right now. So yeah, it's kind of interesting. We're doing this podcast. Yeah. So well, um, hello, welcome to Cincinnati. Yes, yes. Well, also you know, known as the Queen City. Yeah, so they had the podcast episode a couple of weeks ago, and now the Cincinnati. So I'm just saying that time is weird. <laughs> yes, yeah. we're a hot commodity right now. I we know, haven't seriously. been for like 150 years. Well, yeah, right? isn't that what Mark Twain said? He wanted to go, if the world was ending, he wanted to go to Cincinnati because everything happens there 10 years later. Yep. <laughs> so. Or as a good place says, we're perfectly medium. Like. <laughs> For our listeners and for our viewers, we are going into new territory tonight where we are looking at the true crime behind a local urban legend. So I do want to give a content warning out to all of those who may be a little young. Um, portions of this or squirmish, squeamish, there we go, with murder and true crime. Uh, this episode is not fit for young listeners, and I would listener discretion is certainly advised. We are talking about the urban legends that originated around the time of a grisly murder of a teenage girl, and those who have a difficult time with hard topics such as assault, underage drinking, marijuana use, and of course, murder may want to sit the rest of this episode out. So we'll see you next time. Have a wonderful week. For those who want to keep going, we are about to talk tackle the very fascinating case of Amy of Lick Road. So, Jen, you and I are big true crime fans, are we not? Yes. So this is a particular case that has fascinated me for many, many years. It actually almost ended up in my book, Ohio's Haunted Crime, because it has a fascinating true crime associated with it. But first, we're going to tackle the actual ghost story of Amy Lick Road. So fascinating stuff. Um, if you want to chime in with your comments, ladies, at any time, please feel free to. So every version of this legend takes place at the end of Lick Road, which is the place that Jen just went and took photos of. It is a dirt road that runs into the Richardson Forest Preserve. And, uh, and there's a bridge there. Uh, Jen, can you describe the bridge at all? Um, it just looks like an, a, I don't even want to say a two lane. It's like a lane and a half mm -hmm. uh, bridge. It has guardrails on either side. Um, and it's covered in graffiti. It's got moss. 
there's a gap between the concrete and the guardrail. So if you're not careful, you can fall into that hole. There's yeah. nothing to stop you. But it did look like it was a road, a natural road time. at some point, And I assume it was. Yeah. Um, and, and it was. So up until 1978, it was lick road and it would connect actually hamilton and butler counties so i'm not sure if that particular bridge was part of the road or if it just continued through now around the forest preserve it's actually a a horse ranch so that's the other area that you could have walked into so um lick road is a common lover's lane it's been used for at least 40 years as one since 1978 it dead ends at the richardson state Forest, Richardson Forest Preserve, which is part of the Hamilton County, of uh, what is it, County Parks District. There are several versions of Amy Blick Road. So version one, Amy was a 30-year-old woman who was killed by her boyfriend at the end of Lick Road, with a con- which is a common lover's lane. She said she, it, it is said that she had been killed on a bridge over Bank Lick Creek in Richardson State Forest Preserve, accessible via the left path at the end of Lick Road. That is where her body was discovered. So, boyfriend off her off the bridge. Version two, Amy was chased into the forest preserve by her angry stepfather, who then killed her on the bridge and threw her body into the creek. So, we got two bodies in a creek. Version three, Amy was killed by a mysterious man and her body dumped there at the end of Lick Road. And there's also... Um, a version of this where Amy was killed by either her boyfriend, a mysterious man or her stepfather and was pregnant or had a baby and she and the baby end up in the Creek. And you can now summon her ghost by saying, Amy, I have your baby and she will show up to your car and haunt you. Uh, other legend states that if you drive up to Lick road, Amy's ghostly presence announces herself in multiple ways. Some say you'll hear her screams, at the crybaby bridge which is the bridge you were at Uh, others say that amy reveals herself by uh, coming towards you or writing help me on the condensation of your car windows there are multiple ways to summon amy to your car you can drive up flash your lights three times you can honk your horn three times i don't know like you can even probably try a kazoo maybe that will summon the spirit of amy there's varieties of ways to summon the spirit Nonetheless, all the legends agree that we have a young woman who died in the creek. I have questions. Okay. About that. I didn't I realize this was a crybaby. Back. I didn't realize this was a crybaby bridge. So that's they're cool. calling it a crybaby bridge because one of the fifty. It, it's one of the fifty. I don't think James <laughs> would. It would be loosely one because all the variants don't include an infant or a baby or her being pregnant. Most of them are just her being thrown off the bridge after being killed. So what are you only summon her at summon her at night night? Yep. At night. Usually like Halloween is very popular and I guarantee you law enforcement will be out there at Halloween looking for you. Um, And midnight full moons, Friday the 13th, all those days that tend to evoke horror or haunts, law enforcement's going to be out there ready to greet you. So, yeah. yeah. What were your questions, Jen? Well, that was one of them. I did not try to summon her. Yeah. 
I didn't think she'd show up during the day, but also I was a scared cat. Didn't want to do that. So, um, yeah, I, that was the main one. You draw and the line I at also, like summoning. Didn't you include that she was a uh, or bird watching is yeah good out there. Yeah, um, um, my neighbor's an avid bird watcher. So when I mentioned Richardson Forest Preserve, she's like, "Oh yeah, I've been out there." Like, there's a nice marsh area where you can actually see a lot of very good native species of okay. marsh dwelling birds. Because as I was leaving. An older couple was driving down the road and don't know what they were doing there. Didn't see him come out, but I, I was leaving and yeah, I was completely alone out there until, until yeah. that point. And I thought is, I heard gunfire, but someone could have been shooting something somewhere. Yeah. You're, you're or out. it was firecrackers. All right. So on to the history of this area and a little bit of the back history of this particular urban legend which back when i wrote uh indiana's uh haunted hoosier halls i went by the moniker of the urban legends detective very much because i treat all these urban legends like they would be a detective case and i go really far deep into the history as much as i can so i started reconstructing basically the urban legend and giving it a time frame which i found really fascinating it turns out this legend really isn't as old as people keep saying it is. So before 1978, the Richardson family owned the property that is now this forest preserve. And as we mentioned earlier in this episode, there used to be a road that would connect Butler County with Hamilton County. And that got cut in two with when the Richardson family donated the property in 1978. So, um, the Richardson, Mr. Richardson had been a chemist for Procter & Gamble, but his hobby was planting trees and maintaining this particular area of Northern Hamilton County as a preserve for the wildlife. Because back then, really the green movement was rather new and they were very progressive with that. So they donated all the property to the Hamilton County Parks District. It is a public park. There are no facilities, but it's an avid bird watching area. There's no public parking. You do have to buy a permit to be able to park around the area. But Lick Road is one of those areas that's kind of in the gray area from what I found with parking, which is probably the couple you ran into, Jen, were probably people going to hike or bird watch in the area. Um, Let's see, it's open from dawn to dusk and it is patrolled by the parks department. So those are the wonderful people in the large trucks that will come up to you and tell you to leave if you are doing no good around the bridge. Um, I actually started asking friends uh, that are into the paranormal and some that are not, but that are Cincinnati natives about this legend and also looked into old paranormal forums that were still available to peek into from like the early aughts and the books that I have because I have a rather large library but also a rather large Kindle library of paranormal books and really until 2003 
there are no references to Amy of Lick Road. The first that I found was in 2003 by the Ohio Exploration Society. And they have in a sill up, you can go look for it. This Ohio Exploration Society goes out to Lick Road. They're one of the few photos that I found in at night. And I don't know how they came across the story. That would be something I would like to inquire about at a later time. But obviously there were oral traditions of this to sound kind of academic. This was an urban legend that existed beforehand. This is probably something where they picked up and somebody with an internet connection and a uh, camera was able to go out there and record it. So we know the first actual recording of people being out there and telling the story of just Amy and her body thrown into the creek starts in 2003. Asking a few of my friends that are slightly younger than me and a few that are slightly older, they started hearing the legend between 2005 to 2011. Um, the first reference of it in literature is by our friend James Willis, who we had on two weeks ago in his book, Weird Ohio in 2005. Yet again, I didn't get a chance to ask uh, James where he got the information. Just an educated guess, I'm going to say probably from Ohio Exploration Society, because that's where I got a lot of my leads for things that I worked on um, writing in history. They're a really good resource. They're a good group, actually. I just like the menu. Uh, 2009, the Morrison brothers connected the urban legend. In 2009, the Morrison brothers, who are two local Cincinnati paranormal authors, actually connected the urban legend with the true crime that we're talking about tonight with Linda Dyer. And this is in their book, Haunted Cincinnati and Southwest Ohio, which is a fun book. It's a good read and you learn about a lot of local history that way. It's one of the first books I got when I moved here. And then now this year, I would like to connect another girl to this particular story who also could be one of the ghosts of Amy of Lick Road. And this is Charmaine Stola. So tonight we will be, for the rest of the evening, talking about the true crime case of Linda Dyer and Charmaine Stola and the 16 murder victims from 1975 to 1978. So Jen, strap in. This is our own version of My Favorite Murderer. So, um, and I will say it, it's been a fascinating read, a deep dive. I spent the entire weekend going through all the newspaper articles, gathering the information, making a huge map to just be able to follow the timeline. We have in essence about 16 to 17 young women, ages between 12 and 27, who mysteriously turned up dead in ditches due to strangulation, stabbing, and other wounds around the Cincinnati tri-state area. Most of them are going to be on the west side where Lick Road is. Some of them are in Claremont County, and some of them are in northern Kentucky. So come with me as we talk about this cold case tonight. And it's one that I haven't found talked about too often. So one of the interesting things that I have found with studying urban legends is they have a fascinating way of making a memorial 
in culture for true crime cases that go unsolved. This is not the first time I have found just doing research for books, cases where somebody has died an untimely death and the culture and community around them has basically memorialized them through a ghost story. Uh, the first one was back in Bloomington, Indiana. We can talk about that at a different time. The second time was with Linda Dyer and perhaps Charmaine Stola. In the case that we're presenting tonight, um, these girls may haunt the forest as a way of keeping their cold case files active in the minds of the community of Cincinnati. And now with the power of the internet, it's gone worldwide. And if you have any leads on any of these stories that we're about to talk about, please, I beg of you, contact the Hamilton County Sheriff's Department and their detectives unit, because these are unsolved cases unless otherwise stated. Oh, I've got chills saying that. <laughs> so getting to the beginning. Linda Sue Dyer was, as her friends and family put it, a beautiful, blonde-haired, green-eyed girl, but as her sisters put it, could get a little wild at times. She was the third oldest out of six children of James Dyer and his wife, at the time, Dorothy Krebs Dyer. Hailing from North College Hill, she was a freshman at North College Hill High School at the time. Friends said that she liked dogs and horses and wanted to become a veterinarian when she grew up. According to her sister, Marie Dyer, Linda recreationally smoked marijuana and took speed. According to her sisters, she had run away from her home the prior year in 1975 for a couple of months and lived on Chase Avenue and frequently hung out on Langland Street in Cummingsville. Many people growing up in the mid seventies in the United States like Linda used hitchhiking as a means to get around the city. Cincinnati was of course not immune to this. And of course, Linda and her friends also hitchhiked around the city. Uh, Captain Herbert Vogel, who was the chief detective at the Hamilton County Sheriff's Department at the time had been warning women and people in general, not to hitchhike around the city because we had a rash of serial killers out West and he was trying to protect people from becoming victims like what we had out in California and other and uh, Oregon and all that. And you can read through multiple times, there's articles from the Cincinnati Enquirer just of him going, don't do this, don't, it's a bad habit, please stop. Unfortunately, people didn't listen and because they couldn't, let's be honest, Cincinnati's bus system sucks here. It still sucks in 2020. It was terrible back in the 1970s. Getting around in a car is just the easiest, fastest way. And I don't blame these girls for hitchhiking because they wanted to get places and they were underage. And people just didn't have as many cars, I think, as they do now. This is just me editorializing here. No, like, no, like most people. I maybe... would agree with that statement. I yeah. mean, not every family can afford a car yeah, for like person. Yeah, like yeah. Um, I think it was pretty common for people to just have one car for the family because places at this time were still hyper-local. You had your supermarkets. I know here in my neighborhood, which would be the Mount Lookout, Oakley, 
Norwood, Hyde Park area of Cincinnati, all these places were hyper local. And there were Kroger's. I know there was a Kroger in Hyde Park for a really long time. It was a smaller supermarket. It wasn't even a supermarket. It was just a market. So <laughs> people walked places and, they, and you occasionally needed a car. That's just, okay, soapbox getting off of now. <laughs> so in the evening of August 21st, 1976, Dyer and her friends were going to a house party in Munford Heights. Before arriving to that party, however, they stopped by a bar in Northside where Dyer had left her jacket. We don't know why they stopped at this bar. Sidebar here. It was probably to buy booze because you could do that at the time. Um, one of the house, once at the house party, however, she realized that she had left her jacket at the bar and asked her friends to just drive her back up to Northside to go pick it up. And they refused. This created an argument between her and her friends and she decided that she wanted her jacket so she was going to go get it so she hitchhiked doing it um the last time people saw her alive was in the early morning hours of august 22nd accepting a ride by two strange men the two men were reported to be first driving a blue volkswagen van with a black interior however after more questioning of her friends and other party goers uh, the sheriff's department later reported that the description had changed. According to Captain Vogel, witnesses described the men as being young and driving a 1975 or 1976 orange Volkswagen Beetle, standards edition Beetle, with Ohio license plates. The man had picked up Dyer as she was hitchhiking on, Mun on a Munford Heights street near North Bend Road. The driver was described to have an athletic build and a prominent mustache. Police have not released the description of the second man in the car to this day. On August 23rd, 1976, Dyer's family reported her missing. The next day on August 24th, the nude body of a woman was found dead and partially decomposed on the bank of the Banklick Creek at the intersection of Bank Road and Crest Road in Colerain Township. The woman had a six inch stab wound on her chest and there was evidence of her strangulation. Her body had been dumped in a secluded woody area and purposely pushed under bushes. Jen, that is the place that you went and took photos. Yep. And it's pretty secluded. Still. Yeah. Um, I can imagine back in 76, it was even more so. I mean, the houses are, there's a few houses there, but they're big plots of land. You know, there was some traffic, but I imagine in 76, it was a lot less. And you could easily see why someone would, not that I understand that would put a body there hoping mm -hmm. it wouldn't be found for a while yeah yeah it took two weeks for the county coroner to identify her body according to old neighbors of the family and friends the initial description of linda dyer um or the bank road jane doe did not match linda there was um 
There was admitted confusion by, of, over the dental records, according to the coroner's office, which delayed the identification of the body. It was after finding matching dental charts, a skull x-ray, and a forensic artist sketch of the body done by the University of Cincinnati medical illustrator, which helped positively identify the Jane Doe is 15-year-old Linda Dyer. We actually have the sketch that was done by a University of Cincinnati medical illustrator. It ran in the Cincinnati Inquirer in 1976 on September 5th. Uh, the law enforcement believed that Linda was murdered at a different location with her body dumped on Bank Road. Linda was laid to rest in Arlington Memorial Gardens in Mount Healthy on September 7th, 1976. Her father passed away in 2014, but the remaining members of her family, as of this recording, are still alive. And uh, Linda's case is still unsolved. It's, it's just very tragic. Um, I don't like reporting on these things, but I feel like her story needs to be told. Uh, Linda, however, is not the only unsolved brutal murder of a teen girl in Cincinnati. In fact, there was a suspected serial killer in Cincinnati at the time. Between 1975 and 1978, 16 girls between the ages of 12 and 27 were killed and their bodies dumped around the area. Uh, only another one of these victims was dumped less than two miles away from Linda Dyer uh, and less than two years after Linda had been murdered. This was Charmaine Stola. Charmaine Stola was a resident of Price Hill where she lived with her mother and two siblings on Overlook Avenue. Her parents were separated at the time. Described as a headstrong 17-year-old, she was known to smoke marijuana, but did not do any other types of drugs. Charmaine was known as well as a known hitchhiker and did have a juvenile record of shoplifting, sexual delinquency, and truancy. Friends describe her, however, as a very sweet person. The last time Stola had been seen alive was on February 23rd, 1978, leaving the Western Bowl on Glenway Avenue in Western Hills. Her frozen body was found March 13th, 1978, next to a shack off of Old Colrain Pike, a mile south of the Butler County border. A couple of hunters and their dogs had happened upon her body resting against the shack all but her hands and feet were covered by snow. She had been sexually assaulted and strangled, dumped next to the shack only wearing her bra. Because her body had been frozen, the coroner had a difficult time telling how long her body had been there. From descriptions from the news reports, it sounds like they actually found her in an upright slumped sitting position. <sighs> uh, the body was resting next to the shack, Sheriff Stokes said, uh, the shack was the kind of thing kids play in, no elect electricity or water or anything. He noted that there was also a 15 to 20 foot incline from the road to the location where Stola's body was discovered. At the time, it was not suspected that the same person who had killed Linda Dyer had also killed Charmaine Stola. However, Charmaine Stola's death also remains unsolved. What connects these two, however, is the Richardson's Forest Preserve, and their bodies were dumped on opposite sides of it, uh, but less than two miles apart. They were killed the same way, and their cases are both unsolved, and they both are likely the ghosts of the women 
or the Amy of Lick Road that people claim to run into. And uh, that is only part of it. I can go into the rest of the victims of the tri-state killer. Concerns in the, air, in the Cincinnati area may have its own serial killer were raised in a famous article by the Cincinnati Enquirer in 1978. The headline reads, two and a half year toll of female murder victims now stands at 16. The article was written by Will Schaefer and Bill Strickle and goes on to list the case history of 16 open cases at the time. I am happy to report that many of these have been closed since 1978, but I will read them in a short description of each incident. This does get graphic. We do share names. The purpose is to find people who know information about them. First one is Cheryl Thompson, 19, lived on Wooster Pike in Plainville. She was found semi-nude and strangled along the bank of the Little Miami River in Loveland. She was reported missing March 24th, 1978. She was found, her body, April 8th or 9th, 1978. This case is currently unsolved. Charmaine Stola, as I just mentioned above, was 17 from Price Hill. She was last seen February 23rd, 1978, and her body was found March 13th, 1978 in Colerain Township. Her case is currently unsolved. Nancy Ann Theobald, 18, Clifton, vanished November 16th, 1977 after finishing her shift at the Clifton Arby's restaurant. Her semi-clothed body found... December 26, 1977, in Butler County, Ohio. Uh, I believe her father is associated with the Cincinnati Zoo. As I think a zoologist, as somebody mentioned, her case is currently unsolved. Victoria Virginia Hincher. She goes by both names in all articles that I read. Uh, 24 of Roselawn, disappeared October 4th, 1976. Her nude strangled body was found October 31st, 1976, near Hamilton, currently unsolved. Linda Dyer, 15, North College Hill, stabbed body found August 24th, 1976, in Colerain Township, case currently unsolved. Carol Sue, I'm sorry, Clabber, 816 Fort Wright, reported missing at an unspecified date. Her nude and beaten body was found June 5th, 1976 in Boone County, Kentucky. Unidentified Jane Doe, around 25 years of age. Nude body found April 17th, 1976 in Grant County, community of Crittenden, Kentucky. Tanya Ellen King, AKA Cora Ellen Durham. 27 of Oakley went missing at an unspecified date, but her nude strangled body was found June 20th, 1975 near Mason. These murders have been solved. Lisa Jansen, 12, Columbia Township, a sixth grader, a cure of art school, had been reported missing April 12th, and her body was found April 13th of 1978 in Walton, Kentucky, in rural Boone County. She had been shot after being raped. Eugene Gall was convicted. Dorothy Sullivan, 18, over the Rhine, disappeared at an unspecified date, body found in gravel pit on August 28th, 1976, in Anderson Township. Earl Elder was convicted. 
Susan Gorman, 19, Hyde Park, was kidnapped Thanksgiving Day in 1975. Her strangled body was found December 3rd, 1975 in Pendleton County, Kentucky. John Boyd was convicted. So moving on, we have the Ralston murders. Larry Ralston was a known serial killer from Norwood, Ohio. These are the five murders and three rapes he was convicted of, but he could have committed more, even ones that we have just listed above that remain unsolved. The synopsis is from Murderpedia and we'll give the link below. When he was caught by police, he was a 28 year old unemployed dropout of Norwood High School. He had held jobs before at the Hamilton County Morgue and the State Mental Hospital. But at the time, he was living at home with a short list of friends. Mr. Ralston's father told reporters he had warned his son that his irresponsible lifestyle, sleeping all day and staying out all night and running around with young girls, would bring only trouble. His mother called him a likable boy who had a knack for talking to anybody, even if he didn't know them. His victims. The first was on September 3rd, 1975, 17-year-old Linda K. Harmon. She was reported missing September 2nd, 1975, while, wait while waiting for a bus at Wolf Angle Road and Beachmont Avenue, about three blocks from her home. She was waiting for the bus to start her first day at Withrow High School after moving from Finneytown. She never made it there. Ms. Harmon's body parts were found scattered in a wooded area in Felicity 34 days later, after two dogs dragged pieces of her arms to their owner's porch. I did not like reading that. A year later, the nude remains of, a, of, other, of another young woman were discovered in a shallow graves. Um, I wrote that strangely, I'm sorry. Nancy Grisby, 23, of Willemsonville, as she was a disabled woman who frequented bars in Clifton, Madisonville, and Look, Mount Lookout. She disappeared May 9, 1976, on the way to meet her boyfriend in Fairfax. Hunters discovered her body November 15, 1976, on the Moore Marathon Road in Claremont County's Jackson Township. Elena Marie Baer. 15 of Northside was reported missing January 15, 1977 and found February 28, 1977 in a creek bed off Katie's Lane in Wilmington in Clinton County. A little bit more information about his crime. September 24, 1977, Larry Ralston offers a ride to three 15-year-old girls from Price Hill, offering to drop them off at the movies. Instead, he drives to Round Bottom Road in Claremont County's Union Township, blocks the passenger's side of his car against an embankment, and rapes the girls. They escaped when a car approaches about two hours later and survived. October 19, 1977, a Claremont County grand jury indicts Mr. Rawlson on three counts of rape and three counts of kidnapping involving the girls. This is what gets him into the prison system. However, Diane Soon McCombie, 16 of Springtown, 
Springfield Township was found October 22nd, 1977, covered with brush at the end of East Fork Lake State Park in Claremont County. Police said she dated Mr. Ralston. Her disappearance is unknown. Hamilton County authorities would later convict Mr. Ralston in the death of Mary Ruth Hopkins, 21 of Cincinnati's East End. She was reported missing June 29th, 1976, and her body with a t-shirt wrapped around her neck was discovered June 30th, 1976 off Five Mile Road in Anderson Township. November 7th, 1979, the state appeals court overturns the Grigsby conviction, saying the prosecutor did not establish a cause of death during trial. February 20, and I believe Grigsby was a skeletal remain when they found her, so cause of death would have been difficult to determine at the time. February 22, 1980, the Ohio Supreme Court dismisses the aggravated murder charge in the Grigsby case after Claremont County prosecutors were late in filing an appeal to the November 7, 1979 decision. May 11, 1983, the Ohio 12th District Court of Appeals upholds convictions of Bear, McCrombie, and Harmon cases. May 15, 1984, Mr. Ralston pleads guilty to aggravated murder in the death of Mrs. Hopkins or Miss Hopkins and is sentenced to life in prison. Do want to note here. In July of 1978, the Ohio Supreme Court commuted all death sentences to life in prison. Originally, he was sentenced to death in the electric chair on October 31st, 1978 for the death of Elena Bear. That's actually what his death sentence was for. All the rest of them were life um, with, that, it, with parole. Currently, Ralston is still in prison, having been denied for parole three times. The latest was December of 2018, which he lost. His next parole hearing is set for July 2028. It is comforting to know, in a way, that Linda K. Harmon's family has kept the fight since her death. And, sorry, her mother, Dottie Porter, has been at every single one of these parole hearings requesting that he is never let out of prison again. I have some quotes from their families because they do have families. And one of the things in true crime we kind of skim over in our enthusiasm to recount these stories is that a lot of these victims have living family members. Originally, I did not include this, this story in my Ohio's Haunted Crime because I knew that we had all these living family members and I did not want to hurt them, which is never my intention when writing or sharing these stories. Um, I do share these stories now because I want all these girls killers found and brought to justice. It makes me angry that these girls, these were teen girls that were brutally murdered. And the fact that press at the time blamed the fact that they were wild girls that liked to go and hitchhike around the city when there was no other safe op options makes me furious. Now I'm looking at this at eyes in 2020, but <laughs> as a mom and having a lot of empathy for these girls and as a woman who has met lots of creepy people. It makes me mad that there was a lot of victim blaming going on. Yeah. There is a very crazy 
footnote to this that I will, I can mention now and I'll get to the quotes. Um, the Cincinnati Enquirer tried, there was, I don't want to blame them. There was a theory that these girls all were killed because they happened to know the same drug dealers. It's a very loose theory. I found one article in the Cincinnati Enquirer about it, and then you never hear about it again. And I find it terrible that the media was trying to blame them for just doing recreational drugs, just marijuana, which is now legal in several states, and blamed the reason this reason for their deaths. Now it is important to note that Ralston did lure a lot of his victims, sorry, a lot of his victims by promising pot and wine in the car. But that's not all these girls. And unfortunately we don't know all their stories. So I have two quotes from family members. Um, the first is from Dottie Porter about the 2018 parole hearing. She says, he took a part of me that I can't get back. And I want him to understand it's not just me. It's now generations. My granddaughters didn't get to know her. They would have loved her. Had Linda uh, Harmon survived, she would have had some nieces to dote on. In 1977, Elena Bear's mother said this, it's not right. I raised her for 15 years and then someone snuffs her out just like that. I sure hope they catch whoever done it. I hope he doesn't get any sleep. And that was from her mother, Miss Mary Farquhar. So this is a tough story, but I'm fascinated by the fact that we remember them and their stories have not been forgotten because ironically, they became ghosts and they do haunt the area of Lick Road. We just spread their story. So what are your ladies' thoughts about all that I've just recounted? So many. First, I wanna say, you know, even, uh, I know we're looking at back at the past with 20 quote unquote 2020 vision, but I don't, don't care if they smoked pot, drank, even did hard, hardcore drugs. doesn't matter how they got there. They don't deserve to be murdered. They don't deserve to be taken advantage of. And, uh, same, same today, just because we are wearing low cut shirts does not give you the right to stare at our cleavage or to touch us or to kidnap us and do terrible things. It's not okay. Just hitchhiking culture and how bad it was that ran around 77 um, in the Enquirer. And it, I'm, of course, this is just a little mini time capsule of what people were thinking of. I, I'm just looking up this article, 1976, I'm sorry. Um, but also something to note is that with Linda Dyer, her case made front page news over and over and over again in 1976. And she, her case and the case of some of the other earlier girls were part of the 
top 10 things in 1976 to remember happened in Cincinnati. And it's just chilling reading this list that there's like comedy shows and things that happened. And then, oh, by the way, we have four unsolved murder cases of women who have died in the Cincinnati area. The top case is Linda Dyer. And I was just kind of horrified reading this. And it was just check off this list, this off your list, if you know about these cases. And if you check off so many out of these 10, you're really intelligent with local news. It was crazy. I have never hitchhiked or mm -hmm. hitch hitchhiked. Yeah. No, never done it. Never will. And, you know, in my life, I've known quite a few women who don't drive Mm -hmm. and uh anytime we would be out I'm like I am driving you home I don't Mm -hmm. care how far it is I don't care how long it takes me I don't care how inconvenient it is I am taking your ass home because if I find out tomorrow that you've been kidnapped and murdered when I could have gotten you home safely I could never live with myself right so if you have a friend that wants to go somewhere late at night or just just take them yeah don't that's interesting so you have a lot of friends that never got driver's licenses i mean yeah yeah or they did do know how to drive they just prefer not to and mm-hmm. they it's easier to do that now with uber and stuff yeah. like that but um, and there's a lot of bad cases of uber people have there are right yeah you know anything that's even yeah with i was just gonna say even even with just working downtown you know, there would be plenty of times that we would go, and it's not just women. I would take the guys um, mm-hmm. to their cars. You know, I just did not like the idea of any of my friends walking alone on the street to a, this big, huge, empty parking lot, and I don't want them getting mugged. You know, growing up, my stepdad was mugged outside of our house once Oof, and cleaned scary. the blood up off the floor. You know, so oh. I just don't want that to ever happened to anybody right now an interesting thing to point out with all these cases that i listed not one of these girls was a sex worker all these girls were high school students Mm -hmm. which makes them kind of unique in the true crime community and cases because usually it is sex workers that we hear reported murdered this way not teenage girls so it was an interesting pattern that I thought mm-hmm. was worth mentioning. Um, I actually do have a real-time missing persons case here in Cincinnati to report on. And I shared with you the link, and she still has not been found. That's actually why I was looking down. For our viewers on YouTube, they may have noticed that I was looking down. It sounded like I wasn't listening to Christina. No, it was because I was looking up this article. Um So this is from December 4th, 2020. Currently, we're recording this on the 7th. Um, And it's this one's from WLWT, but they say, have you seen this missing teen from North College Hill? So another girl from North College Hill. Police are asking for the public to help locate a missing 14-year-old last seen Friday morning in North College Hill. Zara Watkins left her home on Columbine Court around 8 a.m. after her mother discovered she didn't go to school. Her backpack was found on a nearby street. Police said Watkins had a history of depression. 
Watkins is five foot tall, has brown braided hair, and was last seen wearing a red, white, and blue Tommy Hilfiger coat, black pants, and maroon shoes. If you see her, call 911 or contact North College Hill Police. I'm going to give their phone number right now. 513-521-7171. And this is Zariah Watkins. She is a young 14-year-old African-American female. She is last seen a few days ago. And if you see her, please call 911 or the North College Hill Police at 513-521-7171. How often, is there kind of a statistical thing that they have uh, with these types of cases? Is it a, like, how does, how is this in the Pantheon? Is this a pretty unusual crime or is this a pretty common crime? So... I don't think Jenner and I are really professionals that could really answer that other than the fact that I think both of us listen to a lot of cases. So we're going to be using this armchair anthropological speculation. So there's a little disclaimer there. Uh, Attacks on women is very common. Uh, It happens across the globe every day, millions of times, I'm sure. Um, as I said, this one was interesting with the case with the sprees, um, because it's not a spree, but, um, because none of these girls were sex workers. Um, as I said, they're very, very sex workers are common, common victims. Um, and I know right now we have a lot of unsolved cases from the trans community of women being killed. Uh, that we have some in Cincinnati, there's a few in Philadelphia, and they're dotted all across the country right now. And I've been watching those as well with a lot of concern, because right now, um, we have serial killers that are working in the minority groups, and they're not getting reported as often as, like in this case, every single murder victim in this case was white. I could not find anybody who was a person of color or indigenous that was being reported here. Um, That's not to say there weren't any, but that's not what the newspapers were reporting back in the 1970s. Now we do have better reporting because we have broader people reporting it. And you have a lot more people like, I'm gonna say Jen and I who are into true crime, we're watching these things. And there's large groups of us and some of them work with different podcasts. Like I'm looking at you, Murder Squad. You have people, we have police officers and detectives who are able to have these podcasts and these radio shows and broadcast this concern of lack of field reporting. And now we have more of it. Basically take statements, even if you believe whatever the witness is saying may be untrue, still take a statement. I mean, it takes, I don't know how long the statement could take to record, but they can go on for hours, but just take that statement and you have it in your archives. And now you can do to computers, we can save, I don't know how many decades worth of archives now on a computer server and take care of the computer server. But it, it, it store multiple copies. You don't know how many locations while doing research I have found where the archives were on fire at some point and they have missing yeah. pieces. 
or wiped for whatever reason. And it, it's just, I sit there and I go, how do you not take care of your evidence better? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's, it's really interesting because now, as you said, more and more people reporting, I think there's a new documentary out about missing indigenous people that mm-hmm. like police didn't even bother investigating a lot of that stuff. And now, yeah. you know, and, and it's very prevalent, very, you know, bad. And now a lot of these cases are coming to light, like you said, probably due to true crime shows. And those are probably spurring, you know, some of these documentaries. I'll put a link to the one that I heard about. Hopefully cases like this that have gone cold have a possibility of being solved, especially Mm -hmm. because the family is still around. Yeah. You know, and 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 friends are too, because going, doing a lot of this research and I will say because of COVID, I can't go around and interview people and go to locations so easily. Jen was able to go to um, Linda Dyer's location, but it it makes it a lot more difficult for a sleuths to do this. But uh, going through all the different, just Facebook, Facebook, these statements were over three years old, but friends of Linda Dyer are still alive and we're talking about her in this thread that I found and about her case. And I'm like, did, is there any new information that you can share with the police that may help even just remembering a little bit more the details of the men that she got into the car with. Um, And I'm not surprised that the car got described a few different ways because I am sure the kids at this party were drinking and were taking something because a lot of drugs were legal even then. so that were recreational so i'm not surprised that we got two different descriptions the orange beetle is the one that is far more common though so that may have been the actual car that they took not only are places like lick road um lovers lanes but they also are places where pets get dropped so it's not uncommon to find that as well it's really glad you didn't find that when you were there um, no, I didn't see that, but I wasn't looking for yeah, it. That's, that's where pets <laughs> get dropped, boxes, bags, stuff like that. Um, but also, Amy of Lick Road is a fascinating case where it comes from a true crime where it's about hitchhiking. You have urban legends about the dangers of hitchhiking with the vanishing hitchhiker or the redheaded hitchhiker out in Massachusetts. And then Amy of Lick Road, from a lot of the descriptions that I got from friends, was more of a dare location that you went to as an unofficial um, raising, basically, to see if you had the muster to be with your friend group. And that's also very common and really old. Like, um, what is it? There's a statue, I believe is in Washington, D.C., that people climb to sit on to kind of uh, test, test their muster type of thing. Amy of Lick Road is one of those things. But if you go to Lick Road to find Amy and the ghost of Amy, be aware that you may actually run into Linda or Charmaine. And if you do, please listen to them because they really are screaming, help me. People, yeah. if you know anything or want to comment on anything, please do in our yeah. comments. And, you know, hopefully we've been respectful and, um, you know, it's out of the spirit of hoping that eventually these cases get solved. It's really, it, I assume the pain never goes away for the family members that lose these people. No, 
it might even get worse even around anniversaries of deaths and birthdays i imagine it does um i have seen my share of deaths and it's you never forget them so uh there'll be times that will kind of a ptsd of sorts where i'll be triggered but anyway that is the story for a different time for tonight i am your host kat cloco along with me christina wald and jen kohler again if you have any leads to these cases please let the hamilton county sheriff's department know if you know about the girl that i read about earlier uh, Watkins, please call 911 or the phone number that I mentioned earlier. Um, I will read it again just because I'm super concerned about her. Uh, this is Zariah Watkins, and please call 911 or North College Hill Police at 513 521 7171. And I believe this is the end of our episode. Good luck, stay healthy, and good night. Good night. Night.